Well, friends, would you uh, turn with me, please, to the words that we read in First uh, Corinthians chapter two? First Corinthians chapter two, and reading again verses one to five, where Paul writes, "And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified." And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Those of you who know me well know that I'm someone who likes to have a routine. And one of my routines over the past 12 years or so has been to listen to the Radio 2 breakfast show while having my breakfast. And last week, one of the presenters expressed their hope that 2022 would be better than 2021. And I'm sure that many of us are hoping for the same, that this coming year can only be better than the past year. But what if it's not? What if 2022 proves to be worse than 2021? What do we do then? Well, regardless of whether 2022 is better or worse than 2021, Christ's command to us to proclaim the gospel remains the same. And so we're going to look at what Paul says about evangelism, what he says about proclaiming the gospel from these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to look at the priority, then the powerlessness, and finally the power. First, the priority. Look at verses 1 and 2. Here Paul focuses on the priority in his evangelism. The priority in his evangelism. Before we move into the text, let's note the context. In 50 AD, the Apostle Paul came to the Greek city of Corinth, a place in southern Greece. Uh, He had just left Athens, where he had been mocked for his preaching, and it had been a very bruising, a very breaking experience for him. And he now came to this vast city, which was famous for its idolatry and immorality. And he spent about two years ministering there with Silas and Timothy. And sometime between 53 and 55 AD, less than three years after leaving Corinth, Paul writes this letter to the Christians who are living there. And he's writing to them because there are major problems in Corinth. Uh, The sexual immorality of the culture had begun to infiltrate the church. So that what was accepted and celebrated in the culture was now accepted and celebrated in the church. And not only that, they had turned the Lord's Supper into a drinking festival. Not only that, but the people, the members of the church, were worshipping the false gods that were worshipped in Corinth. And maybe on top of all this, and maybe worst of all, we might say, the church was ripping itself apart. There were deep-rooted divisions, deep-rooted factions within the congregation. And so Paul feels the need to address the Corinthian Christians. And as he does so, he draws them back to basics. He draws them right back to the gospel. 
the good news about Jesus, that message that he himself embraced and proclaimed, and that he wants them to once again embrace and proclaim. And in verse 1, we hear Paul's renunciation. We read, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Paul draws the Corinthians' attention to the time when he was in Corinth. He draws attention to himself as he writes, And I, or, and as for myself, and he draws attention to the fact that he came to them. He is reminding them of the time that he had spent in their company. And isn't it interesting that he calls them brothers? This church is a mess. This church has so many problems. And Paul is saying to them, I want you to remember that I still see you as brothers. You're behaving like pagans. You're behaving like unbelievers. But I still see you as my spiritual family. And he goes on and says to them that he came proclaiming the testimony of God. He didn't come with his own opinions, didn't come with his own uh, message. He came to them with a message, a testimony that was from God and that was about God. And as he proclaimed the testimony of God, he did so, he says, without lofty speech or wisdom. That is a reference to rhetorical speech techniques that were very popular at the time. In Paul's day, giving a speech was an art form. You would be trained in how to give a powerful speech, a persuasive speech, a compelling speech, a, a captivating speech. But Paul says he had renounced such speaking techniques. He was focused on the content of what he was saying rather than on how he conducted himself as he spoke. He was focused on the substance of his message rather than the style. And in verse 2, we hear Paul's resolution. We read, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul had renounced all those eloquent speech devices, all those rhetorical skills, and he had resolved, he had made up his mind, he had decided to know nothing except Jesus Christ. When Paul met the risen Jesus on the Damascus Road, his life was turned around. From that moment all, Paul revered Christ. And he now tells the Corinthians that his singular focus in life, his singular passion in life, while he was with them, was Jesus Christ. That was what made up the content of his preaching. He preached Christ. And he adds that he proclaimed Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was a message that many thought was a stumbling block. Many thought it was a foolish message. You see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But Paul says here that he had found that message to be the wisdom and the power of God. And because he found that message to be the wisdom and the power of God, he resolved to preach that message. He made up his mind to preach that message. He resolutely set it on his heart that he would preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Don Carson writes, everything that Paul said and did was tied to the cross. He was gospel-centered and he was cross-centered. That is what Paul resolved to do. Now, friends, as we consider these verses, we can see that Paul's evangelism 
Paul's gospel proclamation consisted of preaching Christ and his cross. Paul renounced all rhetorical devices and he resolved to know nothing and proclaim nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was his priority. And friends, that is to be our priority as individuals and as a congregation to know and proclaim Jesus Christ and him crucified. The community that we are living in, whether they realise it or not, needs Jesus. Food banks are important. Finances are important. Ferries are important. Family is important. Freedom from COVID and all its restrictions is important. But fellowship with Christ Friendship with Christ is the greatest need that the people living in Lewis have. He is the only one in whom lasting hope, lasting healing is found. There is no hope without Christ. And the only way that the people of our community are going to find him is by hearing about him. And the only way that they are going to hear about him is if we are proclaiming him if we are speaking about him, if we are testifying to him, and that is not simply my job, that is not simply the job of the elders, that is the job of the high free church, to prioritize proclaiming Christ. A new year, as I said to the younger ones, is often seen as a time for resolutions. And maybe some of you have made resolutions. Maybe some of you have decided that you're going to live a healthier life. You've decided you're going to become vegans. You've decided that you're going to go running and exercising. You've decided maybe that you're going to uh, sort out your home or sort out your garden. You've, You've made some resolution. But I want to encourage you, friend, on this first Sunday of 2022 to also make it your resolution to proclaim Christ, to preach Christ, to declare Christ to the people that you're living among in this coming year. You know, friends, we've got a sign up there saying High Free Church Services. How many are coming in off the road on a Sunday because they have seen that sign? They want to now hear about Jesus. Not many. Not many. We have services every week. Morning and evening on Sundays. But how many from the community are coming just because the doors are open and they know we're worshipping there? Not many. Not many. Friends, that is why it needs to be our priority as we go into this year to make Jesus known. To make Jesus known. That is the priority for our congregation and it should be the priority for every congregation in this town and on this island. We move though from the priority to the powerlessness. Look at verse 3, where Paul focuses now on the powerlessness in his evangelism. Paul tells the Corinthians that he was with them in weakness. We read, and I was with you in weakness. Paul says that he was with the Corinthians. That can be translated as, I came to you, can also be translated as, when I was with you. Either way, Paul is reminding the Corinthians that they had seen him, they had heard him. And he says to them that he was with them in weakness. That refers to a physical, observable condition. 
When Paul arrived in Corinth, and the longer that he was in Corinth, the more people could see that he was sick. His body was run down. His body was weak. And as they watched him proclaiming the gospel, the testimony of God, they could see that it was taking its toll on him. They could see that Paul wasn't a well man, and yet Paul preached Jesus Christ and him crucified in weakness. Paul also tells the Corinthians that he was with them in fear and much trembling. Read it again. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now some scholars suggest that Paul is referring to his fear, his awe of God. He is amazed that God would call him. Amazed that God would save him. Amazed that God would bring him to that place of eternal life. And he is even more amazed that God would call him to be a missionary, a minister of the gospel. He is filled with awe as he considers and contemplates this most privileged of callings. However, it makes better sense to say that Paul isn't speaking about his awe of God. He's speaking about his being afraid of man. If you go back into Acts chapter 17, you find that Paul is mocked in Athens for preaching the gospel. And after being mocked in Athens for preaching the gospel, he basically goes to Corinth with his tail between his legs. And in Acts chapter 18, the people of Corinth begin to revile him as he proclaims the gospel. Eventually, he finds himself having to leave the local synagogue because of the intensity of the opposition that he is experiencing. And the situation becomes so bad that the Lord appears to him in a dream, in a vision, and tells him, do not be afraid, do not be silent, but go on speaking. Corinth was clearly a place where Paul found it really hard to preach Christ. He found it a place where it was really hard to make Jesus known. He found it a place that filled him with absolute fear of man. And yet he preached Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now friends, as we consider Paul's evangelism here, his gospel proclamation, we can see that it consisted of human weakness. Paul was weak. He was fearful. He was trembling. He wasn't impressive. As Paul got up to preach, his voice was shaking from illness and shaking from nerves. This is the man whom the Jerusalem General Assembly had appointed as their global mission director. They said, the rest of us are going to stay around Jerusalem and we are going to make Jesus known. But Paul, we want you to go to the nations with the gospel because you're one of the best guys we've got when it comes to making Jesus known to those who aren't from a Jewish background. And yet here is Paul. And from a human perspective, he looks pretty pathetic. And yet, in his weakness and in his fear, in his all to apparent powerlessness, he preached Christ and him crucified. And that should be such an example, such an encouragement to us today. Perhaps some of us are weak. Maybe you want to preach the gospel. Maybe you want to share the good news of Jesus, but you have some physical condition, some mental condition that hinders and holds you back. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul gives us this example of a man who preached Christ in human weakness. 
uh, when others could see that he was physically weak. Or perhaps some of us are fearful. We know how important it is to share the gospel. We know how important it is to speak about Jesus. And yet we've got that fear that hinders or holds us back. You're sitting here today and you're saying, well, that's all very well and good, Hugh. You're saying, go out and tell people the good news about Jesus. I can't even tell my wife about Jesus. I can't even tell my husband about Jesus. I can't even tell my parents or my children about Jesus. I can't tell my best friend at work about Jesus. My, my stomach goes in knots. And yet here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul gives us this wonderful example of a man who proclaimed Christ even in fear and trembling. This morning, I want to encourage you from Paul's ministry, that ministry in Corinth, that your powerlessness, whether that be weakness, whether that be fear, or whether that be a combination of both, your powerlessness doesn't exclude you from proclaiming Christ. Your powerlessness doesn't exclude you from making Jesus known. Can I be brutally honest with you, friends? I am probably the shyest person in this room. You say, get a life, Ferrier. I am painfully shy. I really am. And when I have to go round doors with these tracks, you should, you should see my t-shirts when I get home. They are caked in sweat, because, not because I'm unfit, not because I'm unhealthy, although maybe I am. I am painfully shy. I am all too aware of my weakness, my fear, my trembling. But Paul gives me that example of someone who proclaimed Christ in weakness, in fear, and trembling. So I want to encourage you, friend, if you're feeling, I just cannot do it, I cannot make Jesus known in 2022, I am just absolutely powerless. Paul was aware of his powerlessness. I am aware of my powerlessness. And there are countless others in our congregation who are also aware of their powerlessness, but know that the priority is to proclaim Christ. Third and finally, we have the power. Look at verses 4 and 5. Here Paul focuses on the power in his evangelism. The power in his evangelism. Verse 4, Paul moves from speaking about the powerlessness in his proclamation to the power in his proclamation where he writes, And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Paul claims here that his message and his speech were not implausible words of wisdom. Once again, he's speaking about the rhetorical skills that were so highly prized and praised in the ancient world. And he's saying here that his speech, his message lacked them. We might say there was no glitz or glamour in Paul's preaching. People didn't talk about the way Paul dressed. People didn't talk about his presence in the pulpit. People didn't talk about the ability of language that he had, his command of language, his cultural awareness. From a human perspective, Paul's preaching had very little to offer. If YouTube was around in Paul's day, you can imagine that Apollos would have got a few thousand hits for his preaching every Sunday. Peter would have got a few hundred. Paul, on a good day, would have got 50. And on an average day, would have got about 10 to 20. People didn't think much of Paul's preaching. 
But Paul claims here that his speech and his message were marked by a demonstration of the Spirit and power. That is the first mention of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians. Paul is speaking here about the powerful work of the Spirit who brings a person from seeing the cross as weakness and foolishness to seeing it as the wisdom and power of God. The Spirit is God's agent in revelation, as Paul says in verses 6 to 16 of this same chapter. The Spirit helps a person understand the things of God. As far as Paul is concerned, his gospel ministry, his gospel proclamation lacked style, lacked skill, but it had the Spirit. As far as Paul's concerned, his gospel proclamation lacked power, lacked punch, but it had the Spirit, the Spirit of power. And Paul closes by speaking about the final product of the Spirit and Power Proclamation. Look at verse 5. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul speaks here about the faith of the Corinthians. Now that word faith refers to more than an intellectual belief. That word faith means to entrust oneself to something or someone. It means to rest on something or someone. And Paul speaks about where the faith of the Corinthians was rooted, where it rested. It wasn't resting in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul knows that trendy and eloquent preachers can quickly gather a crowd. But the crowd will be speaking about the speaker rather than the saviour. And I'm sure many of you can, can empathise with that. We, we see great preachers, we see great evangelists and they're very charismatic and they're very dynamic and they they have so much skills and they have so much abilities but sometimes not always but sometimes people can be drawn more to the preacher than to Christ and they're speaking more about the preacher than they are about the savior that can happen I've seen it I've been in congregations which were huge, which were vast, and then the preacher left, he retired, or maybe he took a call somewhere else, and the congregation halved in size in a matter of months because the people's faith was rooted in the minister, not in the Savior. But Paul also knows, and he can testify from his own experience, that a person proclaiming the gospel and the power of the Spirit will see people drawn Not to the proclaimer, but to the Saviour, to God and to the power of God. So as we consider these verses, friends, we can see that Paul's evangelism, his gospel proclamation, consisted of human powerlessness met with divine power. Paul renounced human eloquence and he resolved to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified in the power of the Spirit And he saw men and women drawn to God. And I hope, friends, that that is an encouragement to every person who is here today and every person who is listening online. When I was a student and preaching in a congregation one Sunday, a retired minister came up to me and he warned me in no uncertain terms. And that's what retired ministers can be like at times. Um, Not all retired ministers, we have some lovely retired ministers in our congregation, but some retired ministers can be quite fierce, especially with students. And this retired minister warned me, 
not to diminish the Holy Spirit in my preaching. You see, the danger that I had fallen into was that I had forgotten or possibly hadn't realized that it's only the Holy Spirit who can convert a person. I was thinking that I could convert them, that I could convert them through my preaching rather than relying on the Holy Spirit to convert them through my preaching and even in spite of my preaching. It is the Spirit who sovereignly and supernaturally applies the words and work of Christ to a person's mind, a person's heart, a person's soul. There is no salvation without the Holy Spirit. No one is converted without the Holy Spirit. A person might find themselves attracted to a preacher, they might find themselves attracted to a congregation, but it's only the Holy Spirit who can attract them, who can draw them, who can win them to Jesus. That is what the Holy Spirit does. I don't know about you, friends, but I find that to be so reassuring. I find that to be so liberating, where I think to myself that as I preach, or as I share the gospel on someone's doorstep, or as I go into someone's home and try to share the gospel with them, and as my words are so often weak, and as my words are so often fearful, the powerful Holy Spirit can come, and he can move in such a powerful way that that person might be drawn to Jesus. Doesn't that encourage you? That you might be so fearful, you might be so weak, and you might think, I don't know what to say, I don't know how to say it, and the Holy Spirit can take your words and apply them to a person with power. So friends, as we move into a new year, I want to urge everyone who's here and everyone who is listening online to be praying that the Lord would pour out his Spirit, that he would pour out his Spirit on us as individuals and as a congregation. We all know people who desperately need Jesus. We are living in a community that desperately needs Jesus. Some of us might be living with loved ones who desperately need Jesus, and we cannot convert them. We can tell them that Jesus is precious, but they cannot see this for themselves. But the Holy Spirit, the one who powerfully brought life into Mary's womb, and who powerfully brought Jesus back from the dead, can also bring spiritual life through our gospel proclamation, through our very weak and fearful words. And so I want to encourage you, friends, I want to urge you to pray that he would do so. That he would work in such a way through every one of us that we might see those who are most hardened, most resistant, most indifferent to Jesus and the gospel, like Paul was before his own conversion, saying, I now resolve to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. I now resolve to proclaim nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. A number of years ago, I listened to a sermon and it was entitled, Can the Gospel, Can Your Gospel Convert a Terrorist? And the preacher was speaking about the Apostle Paul. And he was speaking about just how hard 
Paul was to the gospel, just how resistant Paul was to Jesus. He was saying that Paul had the same view of the church and the gospel and Jesus that an ISIS terrorist might have. He absolutely hated the gospel. And yet he was powerfully changed by the spirit and power of Christ and brought to the place of saying, I now resolve to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Friends, we are dealing with the same gospel today. And we are dealing with the same Holy Spirit today. Neither have lost their power. And I simply want to urge you, friends, to proclaim this gospel in your own powerlessness. Maybe it's better that people see our powerlessness, but at the same time, praying that the Spirit might work in great power. Amen.